You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the dark and sooty Univest studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another aphid infested episode of chemical free horticultural hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. A homeowner's plants are covered with a black and sooty substance. The cry goes out there's a fungus among us. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll reveal the real villain behind this dirty tale. Plus, a heap and helping of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and frantically fantastic fabrications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you recruiting an insect army right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, is there a fungus among us or is something else happening? We'll tell you what to do and what not to do when crepe myrtles start to drop black mold. In the meantime, more of your moldy phone calls at 888-492-9444. Alice, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking, Alice. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm calling from Long Beach Island, New Jersey. Oh, goodness. Um... You've uh, we're taping this show about ten days before it would air. You has the hurricane finally moved away from you? It has, but there's been a lot of flooding on the island. Luckily, I was able to get off today and back on. But there's been, um, and luckily our house wasn't damaged at all. But um, some people had some some issues to deal with. Yeah, I know. Ian flattened Florida. I mean, just wiped it off the map. And by the time it came up here, it was supposed to be just like a day of rain. But instead, it just sat down on us and poured and poured and poured. Man. Oh, yeah, for, for five days. And it wasn't just rain. It was the wind. The yes. howling wind was unbelievable. Nature wins. <laughs> <laughs> right. Always, always. What can we do for you, Alice? We're redoing our raised garden. And um, we have three beds, and we're reconfiguring them. But what I've noticed is when we initially did it, we put cardboard down, as you had recommended, right, and the soil on top of that. But I have what I'm going to call reeds, I don't know what you want to call them, that are all along the bay. And although these gardens aren't really near the bay, the reeds have migrated, and they're coming up in the garden. What do you suggest I use? as a base to help prevent that happening? That's an excellent question. I'm going to guess that what you have is actually a plant whose name is common reed, uh, but the scientific name is Phragmites. It is Mm -hmm. 
a very controversial plant that grows along the Jersey and Delaware shores. And it's, it's weird. I think sometimes people who pretend to be horticulturalists just want to kill plants. Um, Phragmites is a Native American plant, but there's also a European version that is said to have arrived at our shores in the ballast of ships, you know, when they have to bring in water and let out water. And apparently sure. this European version is outcompeting our Native American version. And what drives mm -hmm. me crazy is they don't understand how these plants are stabilizing the shoreline. I mean, with, right. without plants like this to, to work as kind of barrier islands, I, you know, every first house in the row would be gone by now. So, right. you know, I mean, it's like, well, there's only a slight difference between them, but we should kill the European versions because they're not from here. And I'm going, <laughs> wait a minute, we all came over from Europe. What are you talking about? So <laughs> right. I, I would suspect you have Phragmites or a similar um, plant. You want to look it up. It's spelled funkily. It's P-H instead of F. Frag okay. Phragmites. Now, um, I consider these to be tremendously valuable plants. They become extinct in Europe, believe it or not which is a problem over there because Phragmites is the thatch that was used to cover thatched homes. So it was used. Oh, how about that? Yeah, and they over-harvested it. And I'm not suggesting that anybody harvest whatever we have because the sea level rise, the fierceness of the storms. We need every possible plant that can protect our coastal areas. So... Are the new raised okay. beds going to be in the same place as the old raised beds? Yes. Okay. So, and you're going, but you're going to dismantle them and build them anew? Yes. Okay. Correct. So what I'm going to suggest is when you dismantle them, dig up the root system, Phragmites and other reeds travel by underground rhizomes. So they will always creep towards your raised beds. So when you're when you're doing this, get rid of as much of the plant tissue underground as you can. And then I would line the bottom of the boxes uh, with a material called hardware cloth. Are you familiar with it? I am. Okay. It's you know it's it's advanced metal screening. And I would suggest you get the hardware cloth with the smallest holes, so to speak. And I would line the bottom of the beds with that. Now, Phragmites is like a King Kong of these kind of plants, so I would double down. I would put down a layer of hardware cloth and then another layer of the same hardware cloth over top, and then I would dig as deep a ditch in front of the raised beds as I could manage and drop hardware cloth sideways down in there to kind of divert it from coming into the area. Sure. And, and then after that, because this is a very broad leafed plant, um, you can spray new sprouts 
with an iron-based herbicide. Um, the major brand out there is called Iron X. But the active ingredient is just iron, but it is deadly to broadleaf plants, doesn't hurt anything else, and actually puts iron in the soil, which is, which is good for many plants. So just, okay. just imagine this creeping underground towards you. You want to block it up front, and then you want to block it underneath. But I think your chances are good. Wow, that's great. That is so helpful. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Good luck to you. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Dan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing fine. And where is Dan doing fine? I'm currently in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Okay. And what's up? What can we do you for? Well, I was at my mother's house last week helping out a bit. She's 91. And cleaning up uh, flower beds, weeding, and... Uh, Apparently, I invited uh, some turkeys to come in and take uh, <laughs> dust baths. Oh, so where does she live? She's in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Okay. And there's wild turkeys there. Yes, there are. There are a number of them. Now, uh, uh, describe to me a little bit about her landscape. It's um, well. It was uh, you know. It's it's a garden. It's a it's a garden. It's just a her flower garden in front of the house. It's uh, flat, and in the back of the yard, there is um, it's wooded, so mm-hmm. there, it's uh, it's a habitat for some critters, um, deer and uh, and turkeys and other things. Well, in one way, that's fabulous. Uh, deer, I have no use for, uh, but wild turkeys don't carry ticks, and they're right. really cool. So, oh, they're lovely, lovely birds. Yeah, and um, boy, and they're big. Yeah, they are enormously big. That's why I mentioned that story. Um, now, you say they were taking dust baths. That's what it appeared to me. You know, they say sort of hollowed out the ground, and um, they uh, they actually you know, got down far enough to dig up some bulbs. And uh, according to what I saw on the Internet, that they like part of their uh, their care for their feathers is they take dust baths. Every bird does. That's one way to get the mites off of them. And it probably just feels good. You know, they're scratching themselves all over. Is there a possibility uh, the backyard is not ornamental? That is correct. It's just lawn. Why don't you dig up a portion of the lawn that's out of the way, out of your view, and replace it with sand? Or even drop a cheap sandbox over it, like one of those turtle things. Sure. And fill that with play sand, because they're going to encounter that before they would get to the front of the house. And, you know, maybe even put some cracked corn out. I I don't encourage feeding deer, 
But I think it would be cool to have wild turkeys around if they're not doing any damage. If uh, Yes, yeah, definitely. Otherwise, um, the cure for something like this is to get chicken wire and lay it down flat on the ground in the flower bed. Now, that may mean a lot of transplanting, but it's the same with feral cats. Once you've covered the soil with this weird kind of metallic substance, they can't do anything with it. You know, cats won't poop where they can't cover it up, and turkeys wouldn't be able to get past the chicken wire. All right, thank you. Hey, great question. Thank you. Take care. Right. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there who suffered the wrath of Hurricane Ian that the combination of excessive moisture and premature leaf drop creates the perfect environment for ticks to prosper. So wear permethrin-treated clothing when outdoors, protect your pets, and perform a thorough tick check after every outing. I'm Protective Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to yet another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in answering a question about a potential fungus invasion, we will reveal an excellent use for the multicolored Asian ladybugs that may be colonizing your house this winter. How about that? In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Andre, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Andre. How you doing, man? Uh, hanging in there, third and middling, as the old folks would say. Yep, yep. And where are you hanging in there? Uh, Glenside, PA. Oh, I know Glenside. Um, is it the Glenside Theater there, or you know what? Mm, um, Keswick, Kes, uh, Keswick. The Glenside, Keswick. Yeah, yeah, Keswick yeah, I'm Theater. About, I'm not too far. Yeah, I'm not too far away from there. Oh man, that would be so thrilling to be able to just walk there. <laughs> I'm jealous. I know. I know. Yeah, All right. For, for those of you in other parts of the country, the Keswick is a fabulous performing theater uh, that punches uh, over its weight. It just brings in so many artists, so, so intimate, the kind of place we really need to preserve. So, yes. Andre, what are you calling about? A um, few years ago, uh, well, no, actually, maybe one, one year ago, I was working on property, and it's this ground cover that looks like the leaves of, uh, I must say, uh, like clover, but have little yellow flowers like buttercups. Now, I looked up fig buttercup, but they don't seem to be the same type of plant. And they make these like little tuber 
things that are left over after they're done. Now, they st- they come up in the spring, and they just choke everything. I mean, and no matter what you do, I can't seem to get rid of them. And then they die back, I guess, like midsummer. But mm-hmm. it's just like when they come in, they just take over. And I have, A, no, I'm not sure what it is or how to control it. Okay. Um, is the area in question wet? Mm, not all the time. No, no. It's a moderate to moderate to wet dry place. Okay. Um, yeah, what are you growing? Everything. <laughs> um, ornamentals, hydrangeas, ferns, lilies, mm. the whole gambit. It's a woodland garden area on one side. There's a sunflower bed, you know, and so forth. There's cherry trees. And there's just an array. There is woodland behind it. Mm, sort of. There's like, a, there's another property right next to it. Right. On both sides, but there is a woodland area, like sort of stringed out through the area. And do these and areas, for- do these areas have these same spring blooming plants? Mm, yes. Okay. Yes. I don't see them on everybody's place, though. Now that I think about it. Right. Um, the drier the soil, the less these plants will move towards that garden. But as you note, it doesn't have to be sopping wet. I'm guessing that you have what's called lesser celandine, which drives okay. people crazy. If I'm yes, wrong, just look up buttercup-like weeds. Okay. All right. Because these are tenacious. They spread by those underground tubers. And once uh-huh. they get established, they are very difficult um, to eradicate. Now, is um, it obvious from beyond your garden where they're coming from? It looks like they're just coming out of thin air. It doesn't really seem to be like you know, say, like a growth coming across the ground that you could see like ivy, say, or, you know, pachysandra or any other kind of ground cover. They just seem to like come up in these spots. And when they come up in these spots, they just multiply. And multiply. Did you buy bulk soil or anything like that? I did not. But I, like I said, I've only been working on this property for about a year. Oh, okay. Um, let's say that you have lesser celandine. If you don't, okay. you have a similar plant. Um, okay. You have very few options. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the biggest Dynamite. one. Dynamite. No, well, people have resorted to actual quarter sticks of dynamite <laughs> to get rid of this plant, which is beautiful oh, in wow. the spring, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. But it just chokes. It doesn't allow anything else to grow. I know. It's and where su- it takes over. It's okay. otherwise known mm. as a successful, easy to grow plant. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. What uh, this is not good news. What you're going to have to do is, and I would hire a landscaper for this first part, is okay. have what's known as rhizome barrier installed uh-huh. around your wanted plants. Um, this uh-huh. is a material that is buried, so they have to dig trenches. 
and it comes up a little above the soil line, but it will keep the celandine on the other side. And then what you have to do, depending on the size of this garden, is, you know, dig up the plants and get these tubers out and then replant them. And you just got to go step by step. Um, rhizomaceous plants, tuberous plants, these are the hardest ones to eradicate uh, because all their life energy is underground. You could, you could try laying a material like hardware cloth. Are you familiar with that? No. It's a, you, and you get it at a hardware or a home store. It is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean that you put down for the protect wooden floors and such? Or is it for horticulture? I don't know. Anyway, okay. hardware cloth, <laughs> hard, hardware, hardware cloth is like a window screen, but it's okay. like 10 times as strong, and it comes in many different mesh sizes. Okay. So you okay. would, you would uh, look up lesser solendine, or just, again, search buttercup-like weeds to make sure I'm giving you the right plant, and then yeah. you would surround your wanted plants with the with the hardware cloth and okay. then cover that over with soil uh, but you huh. still are going to need rhizome barriers uh, around everything that now sounds like a lot of work hey it's not my house <laughs> <laughs> i love to watch other people work yeah okay all right all right and so... obviously the best time to do this is when you see the new growth when you see okay. the new growth popping up, if you get a what's called a poacher's spade and dig up the tuber uh -huh. that is promoting the plant, um, you obviously won't get all of it the first year, but you can keep going uh -huh. at it year after year. And a combination of that and the rhizome barrier and the hardware cloth, and you should be good right. to go. But it's a major yeah, job. There's true. no... No getting around that. Easy. There's no spray in or no herbicide that will help the issue. No, no, because oh, the kidding. tubers are immune. You know, it's the tuber oh, underground that is the yeah. the villain here, and it yeah, it okay. just has to be removed. Um, if it's been there for years, these tubers are probably very large. They contain a lot of energy. Trying to herbicide them would only harm you. Okay. All righty, Mike. Thank you much. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, at least I know where I'm headed. Exactly. All right. Good luck to you, sir. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye.
888-492-9444. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Good day, sir. This is Jim in Nashville, outside of Nashville, White's Creek. How are you? I am just ducky. How's Jim? Doing good. Not ducky, but I, I will say before we speak, my evil squirrels have a message for you. They scrawled it in the dirt. They said, try to catch us. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we, we have some fun coming up in the next couple of shows with evil squirrels. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway, um, and again, always a pleasure uh, to hear from Nashville and Memphis. What can we do you for? Here, here's my question, Mike. A few days ago, I watched a short segment on the miracle of the monarch butterfly from, from the little egg to birth. And mm-hmm. then a few days later, I see some monarchs out in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting down and I'm looking at the garden and it's colder out here in Whites Creek than Nashville. So the tomatoes are done for. They've been cold out of the ground except for the, the cherries. And I'm looking at this stack, and I'm thinking, oh, no, have, have monarchs and have moths, have butterflies laid eggs on these, and am I interrupting that cycle? So that's my basic question. When should someone pull out the tomato plants according to the season and where they are, and what would one want to do with them, and are we indeed hurting the cycle of our flying friends? That's my question, sir. Okay, very good question. Uh, The first answer is you should pull out your tomato plants when you're sick and tired of looking at them and waiting for that one green tomato to ripen up. Pick it off the plant, bring it inside to ripen inside, and compost the tomato plants. Um, There is only one insect that uses uh, tomato as a host plant. In other words, they lay their eggs on it, a caterpillar hatches out, and then devours as much as the plant as it can. And that is the dreaded tomato hornworm, one of the biggest caterpillars in North America. When it strikes, it looks like deer have eaten off the top of your plants, and they're mountains of frass, a $30 word for bug poop, are really visible underneath the plants. Now, they are pestiferous, but they uh, pupate, drop, they drop into the ground as caterpillars pupate in these weird kind of armored shell things and emerge as giant sphinx moths, one of the biggest moths in North America. So they're a pest, um, but they're, uh, but their moth stage is tremendously beautiful. So, um, and oh, one other thing, if you find a hornworm on your, uh, on your plants and it has white spines up and down the back, don't mess with it because those spines are the cocoons of beneficial wasps, very small wasps that will, um, that will uh, you know, take care of other pests in your garden, preying on them. Um, If you want to help the monarchs, you grow milkweed in your garden. That is the only... You You got some? Yeah, that's... Everybody knows that. Even even us uh, wannabe Mike McGrath know that. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, I think. 
Um, yeah, uh, there are different kinds of milkweed. Um, you should grow the ones that are recommended for your area. And uh, that will make the monarchs that return very happy because they will lay their eggs on the milkweed plants when they get back from, um, in your case, Mexico. And those eggs, of course, you know, will hatch into caterpillars that will eat the milkweed and, you know, come a, a form a tremendously beautiful chrysalis. And then out of the chrysalis comes the monarchs. So the other thing you can do, and perhaps you already know this, is to have plants in flower at the end of the season uh, that produce large amounts of pollen and nectar. Uh, the absolute best ones are Tithonia, or Mexican sunflower. The monarchs that emerge will really chow down on the pollen and nectar in these plants. They produce a ton of it, and that will fuel them on their way back down to their breeding grounds. Good to know. And uh, Tithonia. I think that's the... Go yes, ahead. sir. Go ahead. I was going to, I, I was, I was going to say that the Mexican sunflower should be available here in this temperate climate. Uh, that's new information to me, and it's it's much appreciated. Yeah, that is their absolute favorite flower. There are others, uh, but you want something that blooms into the fall and produces copious amounts of nectar and pollen. And they're beautiful, man. Thank you. The Tithonia, yeah. the Mexican sunflower, they're absolutely gorgeous. Okay, Jim. Thank you for the information. Yes, and I have the highest respect for your for your knowledge. Uh, on with the day and on with the show. Thanks for taking the call, sir. Thank you very much, Jim. Take care. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that now is the time to buy a leaf blower with a reverse setting that allows you to suck and shred your leaves without any bending. Already got one? Get another one and put other people to work as well. The new rechargeable cordless models are super groovy. I'm Groovy Mike McGrath. And you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch. Now, cats and kittens, in just a few minutes, we'll have a question of the week about fungus, maybe aphids, and why Asian ladybugs can help save your plants. Woo! You don't want to miss that. And you won't 
if you listen to a couple more fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Boris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How you doing today? I'm just ducky, Boris. Ha, ha, ha. Ducky's happy. Uh, how about you? I'm doing well in Arlington, Virginia. Just outside of Washington, D.C. Correct. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if, how long you've been there, if you remember, but I was the garden reporter for WTOP News Radio for 22 years. So I know a lot about D.C. and the outskirts. Before my time. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, nobody's perfect. I, I listen to you on WHYY. Okay, and and now um, at uh, WLVR in Bethlehem, where the yep. air is finer and the culture is <laughs> beyond average, <laughs> above average. <laughs> All right, what can we do you for, sir? So I, I I'm trying to get involved in foraging specifically for mushrooms, but any other edibles that are out there. And I'm trying to figure out how to find experienced foragers so that I don't make any mistakes. Well, I'm going to uh, acknowledge that uh, I was given a heads up about this because it is very specific. It's not the kind of thing I would have off the top of my head. So I did a little research, and it seems like you're in Mushroom Central. Uh, the first organization I will mention, I wrote it down on an index card, is the Mycological Association of Washington. Uh, their website is mawdc.org. Um, mycology, of course, is the study of mushrooms and other fungus. And this club has over 600 members, so I'm sure um, there are events and specialists that um, work in your area or present in your area, and they do it all. Based on their website, um, they hold classes, they have lectures, um, they go out on forays where they don't pick anything, they just help newcomers identify mushrooms, and then they do full-fledged foraging. Um, and it was interesting of me to note, interesting to me to note, that you can't forage in Rock Creek Park in D.C. Uh, you Correct. Know, they really want to leave the plants in there alone. <laughs> they have as much stress as they need already being that close to Washington. Um, mm -hmm. One other thing that was mentioned in all the sites I found um, was be sure to wear tick-proof clothing when you go out foraging. Mushroom hunters appear to be uh, prime meals for ticks. So if you, you may have heard about me talk about a professionally made clothing that's in, impregnated with permethrin which is a synthetic yes. form of a biological insecticide, actually arachnicide in this case. Um, and you can buy at hunting and fishing stores uh, sprays that you can treat your own clothing. And I tell you, anytime I remember my tick pants and my tick socks, I never come in with a tick. And that's just important to keep hammering into people at this time of year. Uh, ticks aren't going to go dormant until January, if we're lucky. 
So, and this is the time of year they want to get a good blood meal to get ready for the winter. So you have to be careful about that. So again, your first contact is going to be the Mycological Association of Washington. And the website is mawdc.org. The first, um, the first thing I found, the first hit I got, was the D.C. Urban Gardeners Network, which doesn't sound like it's, you know, very promising, uh, but the D.C. Urban Gardeners Network holds classes in all kinds of foraging, including uh, mushrooms, and, uh, you know, they would be a great contact to find maybe a smaller local group in your Mm -hmm. area but it's the D.C. Urban Gardeners Network. And I want to go back to the Mycological Association because one thing they also do, which I think is critically important, is they teach you how to eat the mushrooms. Is this mushroom safe to eat raw or does it need to be cooked? What's the best way to cook it? How tasty can you make it be? So they're really doing nose to tail here. They're teaching you how to pick it safely. They're going along picking safe mushrooms, and they're going along with you, and then they teach you what to do with it. So I think you'd be in good hands with them, but also check in with the Urban Gardeners Network. Perfect. That sounds like great leads. Thank you, Mike. All right. And one of the reasons, even though this is very localized, I wanted to get you on the show, is the same will be true in almost all parts of the country that have wild mushrooms. Um, If you don't find anything under mushroom foraging, go to Mycology. And I think there is a group like this in many groups like this all over the country. Great, great, thanks again. All right, you take care, Bor. Time for the question of the week, which this time out we're calling a convincingly crappy Crepe Myrtle Calamity. Nancy in Milton, Delaware writes, a fungus has infected crepe myrtles throughout our area. I have had my trees treated. I don't know exactly what the tree service used by name, just that it's a fungicide. But the black mold or soot or whatever it is has been deposited all over the shrubs underneath. Is there anything I can apply to those shrubs to get the black off without damaging the plants? Well, I knew right away from the, quote, black soot description that Nancy's problem was not caused by a fungus, but clusters of aphids sucking sap from the leaves and then depositing their, quote, honeydew down below. I did not know, but soon learned, that her aphids are a species specific to crepe myrtle. Commonly known as the crepe myrtle aphid, duh, its scientific name is impossible for me to pronounce. So we'll put it up on the screen during this part of the TV version of the show and use it in the printed version at the Gardens Alive website. Although native to Southeast Asia, the species name is clearly Hawaiian, which makes sense as the pest was first discovered and named in Hawaii. Interestingly, to me anyway, 
this specific species of aphid feeds only on crepe myrtle and no other plant. And while they do make the plants look dog nasty, they don't do any long-term damage to the crepe myrtles they're sap-sucking, which means that they would be considered only a cosmetic problem to insect experts. But that is small comfort to gardeners left with poop-covered plants. Although these specifically named pests are specific to crepe myrtle specifically, the honeydew problem occurs with all species of aphids and would not be considered strictly ornamental if you park a car underneath. And the frass, a fancy word for bug poop, eats the paint away, which by the number of websites devoted to this problem seems to occur all too frequently. Now, one remedy suggested for pooped on plants is to clean the honeydew off with a soft cloth wet with warm water. You can also spray the frass with a light horticultural oil. That's the version designed for warm weather use, not, quote, dormant oil. This is said to cause the poop to flake off the affected plants. A very dilute solution of vinegar can be used instead of the plain water, but keep that water warm. However, as with our own health, prevention is a lot easier than remediation. Like most insect pests, only more so, aphids are attracted to plants under stress. Excessive nitrogen fertilization is a major cause of aphid infestations as it forces unnaturally lush new growth full of tasty aphid-attracting sugars. So if you have a, quote, conventional lawn service that uses chemical fertilizers, you're going to have excessive numbers of aphids. Same with, quote, pest control. If the aphids in question were sprayed with a fungicide, <laughs> only because somebody yelled fungus in a crowded theater, the only harm done was to the health of the homeowner, the pesticide applicator, dogs, cats, children, etc., but it would not address the problem, which is not caused by a fungus. However, if this tree service recognized the problem for what it really is, they would have used an insecticide, which would limit the lifespans of all the above and kill the beneficial insects that are excellent at controlling aphid populations in an environment that isn't overly contaminated with chemicals. But when a, quote, tree service is involved, chemical contamination is very likely. The more visits a conventional service makes, the more they can charge. So overuse of chemicals and treacherous wood mulch is the norm. And if that is the case, you're going to be saying, hello, aphids, every season. If you forego these useless, unnecessary, and dangerous treatments, your landscape is likely to take care of itself. Beautiful, diaphanous green lacewings are the fiercest predator of these pests. You can buy them professionally raised in the egg stage, place the eggs around the plants you wish to protect, and, quote, aphid lions will emerge. 
these larval forms of lacewings will hatch out and immediately home in on any nearby aphids. Note that the early stages of this highly beneficial insect look like little lobster dragons before they can become winged adults. Ladybug larvae have a very similar appearance to green lacewing babies. Before they transmogrify into the ladybird beetle, we all know and love. You can purchase live adult ladybugs from many sources. Release these adults at sunset into a thoroughly wet garden to avoid their flying away. They'll mate, lay their eggs near aphid colonies, and the babies that emerge will chow down on as many as 50 of these pests a day. Note, the multicolored Asian ladybugs that many people dislike because they seek shelter in homes over the winter are the alpha predators of these aphids, which makes sense as they're both from the same part of the world. If you are lucky enough to have them decide to stay with you, Fill a clean bag for a canister vacuum with shredded straw, shredded leaves, or raffia. Moisten the contents with a mister. Suck the ladies into the bag and store it until spring in the fridge. This trapping is easy to do as the ladies almost always cluster in one corner of an upstairs room. Well, that sure was some hopefully useful information about what to do when aphids appear and poop on your plants, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to encourage my aphids if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, in lo- <clears throat> Please include your location and accept our apologies that nobody had cleared the voicemail for that number. Now you can call us and actually leave a message. Isn't technology wonderful? You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when Superman accidentally hit him upside the head with a large chunk of red kryptonite. The living legend of South Street, Ken Queter, plays our theme music. 
Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is the always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your pretty garden pictures to post at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Special thanks to our beloved band of hoodlums, thieves, and card sharks, Zach the Tack, Jacob Morris, Eric Werner, and many others too expensive to mention. Our beloved and bedraggled CEO and part-time belly dancer, Tim Fallon, is still late for meetings, still refuses to be called our executive producer, and mysteriously disappears whenever Godzilla attacks the West Coast. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm busy flame-weeding my tomato plants that refuse to die with honor, trying to find a bed for the last of my garlic cloves, and wondering just where my last batch of potatoes was planted. I probably won't get all that done, but I will see you again next week. You've been listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden.